0: And now, The Low Post.
1: Welcome to The Low Post Podcast, where one of the teams I haven't talked about so much in the wake of the wild trade deadline are the Boston Celtics. And normally... There's something about the Celtics where we talk about them a lot when it's all doom and gloom and everyone's fighting each other and the locker room's a mess and another free agent leaves and oh my god, they've squandered all these draft picks. Well, it's time to flip that narrative. The Celtics have won nine in a row as we're recording this right now. They play the Detroit Pistons tonight on Wednesday night, so they'll probably lose and blow this whole podcast (laughs) to talk to us about what in the heck has happened in Boston when I think Celtics. I think Brian Scalabrini. How are you, sir?
2: I'm doing well. And yes, my team, you're right. We do. I do have a lot of conversations and my phone is ringing off the hook when it doesn't work, but when it works, like no one ever wants to talk to me, Zach. I'm so glad you reached out
1: <laughs> 16 and four in their last 20 games. Uh, so this obviously predates this little nine game streak against mostly blah teams and predates the trade deadline by a lot. They're now 34 and 25. Sixth in the East, only four games out of first in the East, which is kind of crazy. This was, it, it, they are, for the season, and we'll talk about where they are for, for the for the last month or so, for the season, they're now 18th in offense, so still kind of meh. Mm-hmm. Second in defense, about to overtake the Warriors for first, and that's what, what has really driven this streak. And Scal, like, before the season, I had the Celtics as a no-brainer top-six team. I said they're closer to number three, in the East than they are to being in the play in tournament. And I look like a fool for a long time. And now here they are. And, and the reason I was optimistic about them was for all the sort of roster churn and rumors about this thing and that thing and guys who have left like, and, and the imperfect amount of shooting around Tatum and Brown and the imperfect, allegedly imperfect fit between Tatum and Brown. This team had the personnel to be an absolutely killer defensive team. And here we are. They are a killer defensive team. So start there. What has impressed yeah. you about that end of the floor in the last 20 games?
2: Yeah, 20 games. Good call. Cause that's when I think uh Ime made that adjustment. So right maybe it's a little bit less than that, maybe around 14 or 15 games ago. Uh Ime moved Rob Williams off the ball at at the center position, which is, if you think about it, it's it's they had Al Horford. If I if I had to tell you, Who's going to guard the biggest player on the other team? you got Al Horford or Rob Williams. And Rob has grown a lot defensively. He, I remember his positioning was really bad. And I he used to make up for it with, with shot blocking. But I'm like, you can't do that against good NBA players. So his positioning has improved. Him being off the ball is a problem for the NBA. So now guys are driving to the basket. They're elevating. And Rob is talking, they're they're uh, lurking in the background. And he's blocking a lot of shots. And that's leading to easy baskets. So... Defensively, I think that adjustment that Ime made was was a great adjustment. The starting group has always been pretty good, but with COVID and injuries, and nowadays, like no no one plays through anything, so that group didn't get a, a lot of games together. That's why I think as we do this podcast today, just blew out Philadelphia. That's why I think that game against Philadelphia was one of the better wins of of this kind of, kind of stretch because no Rob Williams and you saw Marcus Smart went out, but they just kept going defensively. They had a lot of guys with a with plug-and-play attitude, and I think Derek White helps that. But defensively, I think what Ime has been preaching this whole time since his introductory press conference, it, we're now starting to see it, like the versatility to switch, you know, the idea of keeping Rob off the ball. They've been a lot of good adjustments, and I think a lot of it also has to do with a little bit of scheduling where you're playing the Miami Heat, and they got a couple of guys out. You play the Chicago Bulls, and they got a couple of guys out. When they played the Phoenix Suns and DeAndre Aiden didn't play, we scored 65 points in the paint. So a little bit of scheduling uh, helped there. But, hey, when they were losing those games, we weren't making excuses for them.
1: Exactly. Well, to, to the point about the scheduling to the degree that it's helped at it all, here, here are the stats from the last 20 games, okay? And they're crazy. The Celtics, 114 points per 100 possessions. That's like seventh or eighth in that stretch. So the offense has been playing pretty well. Mm-hmm. The defense – 99 points allowed per 100 possessions. Scal, do you want to hear the second-place figure over this uh, last month and a half? I think it's so the, Celtics, the Celtics were at 99. Second is Dallas, 106.5. So that's like a 7.5-point gap. Know. That's the same as the gap in that stretch between Dallas at number 2 and, like, number 20. That's yeah. how dominant the Celtics' defense has been. Now, schedule and also— Opponent jump shooting has been like ridiculously cold from three, from mid range. They're shooting in the Boston's opponents are shooting in like the mid 30s on long twos, mid uh, low 30s from three. So there's probably a little bit of luck involved. But even if you normalize the luck, they're still number one by a long shot. And to your point, the versatility white fits right in. They're just big and rangy and switchy, right? I mean, this is not yeah. a I, this is not. This level of defense is a little bit luck-aided, but them being a top two or three defense is not a fluke.
2: Yeah, and it's it's unique because all guys, everybody on the floor, everybody that gets an opportunity to play can guard their position. And then even if they're like a Peyton Pritchard switches off onto a big, and I told you earlier about Rob Williams being off the ball— you know the whole idea like you roll them into the post and you scram a guy out like they do the best job of scramming guys out so they're not ever at like a mismatch problem so right now like what they're doing defensively is a sort of ahead of the nba like a lot of teams have tried to do this the warriors when they had their what do they call it, death star lineup they were phenomenal just death, just death no star just death just death death just straight lineup. death Gotcha. <laughs> well, that lineup where, you know, they would protect Steph and they would, you know, scram him out of, of coverages. So, like, yeah, I mean, this this team defensively is off the charts. And then what we love to talk about on the Low Post podcast is is ball movement and player movement and, like, you know, like decision-making, you know, point five, get catch the ball, move it really quickly, not massaging the ball and taking your time. And, and I, I think Tatum has been trying to do that all year. And I think he's getting a lot better at it. And I think the team is trusting, or Tatum is trusting when I give it up, it's gonna find me. And I'm getting so many more possessions that it doesn't matter. I'm not like pressing on these things. And I I kept trying to tell people that when you become the guy, right? When you're the guy, you if there's like an adjustment period to that. Tatum used to be the second best player. It's Kyrie's team. It's it's uh uh, I guess it would be at the time, I guess, wh- who would you say last year? I wouldn't say Terry Rozier. I would say Kemba Walker's team. So it was always somebody else's quote-unquote team. But now it's Tatum's team. And everyone thinks, well, now that it's your team, you're going to all of a sudden figure it out. No, like that takes time too. Tatum has been a scoring guard or scoring wing his whole life. Now he has to be a scoring playmaker. And that means – give the ball up, like hit open passes, make simple plays, and then you'll end up getting that ball back. And that's what we're finding from him right now. Like Tatum is just as effective on the ball, making plays, and off the ball. So, And with catch-and-shoot situations. So he's made a huge jump in that. And by the way, when these last two years when the Celtics have been struggling, I didn't hold back. Like I know a lot of people, they love to talk about the eighth man because they're afraid of access or whatever it is. Like with me, I was always like – when Tatum improves as a playmaker, the Celtics will improve. Oh, what about this? No, when Tatum improves as a playmaker, that's when the Celtics will take that leap. And he has taken a huge leap over the last month.
1: And I don't, I, I agree with you. He gets off of it earlier now. That's the mm-hmm, thing. And, yeah. he, and, he used, and he always had that in his game. It would just be, it wasn't really the way his game was calibrated. Like you would see three or four passes each night and be like, man, I want five more of those. But instead, there'd be five more fortunate isos, and now there are five more of those. I don't think Jalen Brown has has sort of matched that progress as a playmaker, but maybe maybe that comes too. But I want to go back to the defense first, and I have two defense okay. questions for you. you Number got it. one, what what year? You mentioned the death lineup. What year did you leave the Warriors coaching staff?
2: Uh, four fourteen, the year before they won. So they won in fifteen, right? So fourteen.
1: So, did you see the death lineup coming? Like, could did you see? Did you think that Draymond could handle? Yeah. could handle that. You, you, I mean, I know Draymond. Oh. You, you are a Draymond guy, but could you yeah. see it early? Like that, this this guy. Oh my God, he could he could be a five.
2: I, I am like in the so the five thing probably not because the NBA. You know, like we still had Andrew Bogut at the time. But here's when I okay. So I was in practice, and we're doing ice coverage. So you're down the floor forcing it baseline, right? And I almost like passed out in practice when I saw this, right? Zach. So so Steph's going baseline and, and Draymond Green's in the coverage. And then Steph takes his hand and he starts to gather right like that. Draymond Green is already like loaded that leg and he's waiting and he's out on the gather. Where then I watch David Lee, and this is not a knock on David Lee. I've, I've never seen a Draymond Green do this before. Even Kevin Garnett or or Kenya Martin, all, all the great defensive players i play played with, Draymond was moving on the gather of, of everything that he did. So he would be in the coverage on Steph Curry, and he would be on, on the catch with David Lee. And this is before Draymond Green. I, I think every team in the NBA had an opportunity to sign Draymond Green the season before, and I was just like, are you serious? This is how he plays defense? He He moves before everything happens. I think he's moving before the – the guard actually knows that he's that he's going to make that pass and when i i was like i couldn't believe it and i and i advocated for him cuz i worked out Draymond and i worked out uh, Andrew Bogut and Festus Ezeli those were my three guys but i advocated for Draymond Green i was like i've never seen anybody one step ahead in the way that he's one step ahead defensively and i love that he goes rogue uh, defensively that he doesn't Stick to the script. I think it's good. I think if you sk- stick to a script, sometimes that can get you beat. And sometimes, you know, going rogue can get you beat. But I play with a guy like Jason Kidd, and Jason Kidd would go rogue in the fourth quarter by, you know, just figuring out, you know, defensive rotations. And Draymond Green checked all those boxes. So I didn't think he would be as good as he is right now because I couldn't see, you know, Draymond being a five but because every everybody was still having shot blockers. But I've never seen anybody move on the gather the way he did.
1: The second thing I want to go back to is, and I've been meaning to write about this and just haven't had time, the Robert Williams off the ball thing is the most interesting thing on defense happening in the NBA right now. And you're right, it was about 15 games ago. All of a sudden, Robert Williams is guarding DeAndre Hunter or name a a wing, either a four or a wing, probably the least threatening wing or the wing in the corner. Corner, And Al Al Horford is, is starting on the main screen setter instead of instead of rob williams and and you're right that part of the reason for that is well he can stay on the back line if he's guarding the corner guy and be ready to rotate but i also feel like part of the reason for that is okay we're gonna make we're gonna make us even switchier on your main screen setter because al is i don't even know if al is even a better switch defender at this point than rob williams rob williams is a pretty damn good switch defender yeah he's not
2: but that's not not the reason
1: well, I, But I feel like it, it throws teams – but they are switching with Al yeah. at, at the top. And I feel like it throws teams – it throws offenses out of whack because they're like, wait, what's going on? Rob Williams is over there. Okay, Al, they're switching our main ball screener. So what do we do? Do we want to call up Rob's guy for a screen? Do we want to set – and all of a sudden there's like nine on the shot clock and you're like, we haven't figured anything out. Right. And they, they will even do it when Al's not in the game and they're a little smaller – on the main screen center like Clint Capello, the other night. They'll put Grant Williams on Clint Capello and switch that. And even Tatum, a wing, a Jalen Brown. Like it doesn't matter how big or small they are. Rob's going to be off the ball. And I'm, I'm curious. So you think the main driver of that is let's keep him as a helper rover on the back line more than anything of we're, we're doing something magic to screw up your, your initial pick and roll?
2: Two things. So you remember at the beginning of the year when they were getting crushed defensively? If you could – If you can take the Celtics' defense in the half court and take it all the way into the missed shot, you would say their defense in the half court is really good. Now, they were turning the ball over at a high clip, and they were giving up easy baskets. But another thing they were doing is they were giving up a ton of offensive rebounds. And so so you have Rob Williams, who is better, by the way, Zach, you're you're all over this. He is better on the perimeter guarding guys and forcing guys to shoot than Al Horford. Like, Al Al Horford's really good, but Rob is special as a defender. So the shot was going up. Rob was contesting and he's 25 feet from the basket. And now, now they have to rebound, right? So now you have, it's, it's, it's weird. Rob's playing like a one man zone back there. If you think about it, if they roll a big, they throw a lob, he's coming in to help. Marcus smart flies to the corner. If that ball finds there, if they don't, and they're dribbling towards him, he'll inch out and he'll, he'll guard the corner. And if they switch and they roll a guard into the post, he'll come over and he'll end up taking the big at the basket. So it it's a, it took me like four games to like pick up on this and the impact of it, And it wasn't, you know, sometimes you just, it gets become random. Like why is Rob guarding the corner? Oh, it's just random. They're mismatched or mismatched, but you start watching it. You're like, Oh, it does check all the boxes of what the Celtics were bad at. When you switch, what are you, you're susceptible to offensive rebounds, getting rolled into the post or guys on the perimeter. But like Rob is doing a good job of that. And Al does a good job of that. So, you saw Rob, you had that stretch where he was getting like seven rebounds in the first quarter, like every game, because he was just back there defending, rebounding, and then the Celtics were all rotating out of it. I, I don't know if other, other teams are going to do this, but it's a real problem for the NBA right now. And we'll see we'll see if the, I have yet to see a team counter it, where I'm like, oh, that's the weakness of this defense. I've yet to find it.
1: That's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you, put your coach's hat on, because when I watch the Celtics, I think about Okay, if I know this is coming now, how am I countering this? And I have a few ideas, but I'm just an idiot with a with a TV screen. Like, what? What are you? What? Are I got you, nothing. You got nothing.
2: That's it. No, no, because everybody that they switch can can drive. I mean, can, can contain the drive, and they can challenge the shot. So um, you still have. Even if you do crack Al Horford off the dribble, let's use somebody else. Let's say you crack. Uh, it was like josh richardson or dennis Schroeder. then you're dealing with rob at the basket so tell me out zach i i I at this point have nothing and you tell me i'll see if i can show you an example of me watching where the celtics had this opportunity and they fixed
1: it maybe switching is the cure-all and there's no nothing you can do but i feel like if he's guarding a good shooter like a really dangerous three-point shooter I want to exploit that somehow as the offensive team. So maybe I run some flare screen action off the ball. They maybe it. I run. As That's say, Maybe they just yeah. switch it, right? Maybe I run some split action off the ball. Maybe I just keep it simple and call up Rob's guy for a pick and roll. But if they switch that, then I'd maybe. I guess if they're going to switch everything, and he's on a really good shooter. I wanna get into it early and make the everything as complicated as I can make it. Slip screens, split actions, flare sure. actions, so that if there's if there's a crack somewhere, I have a situation where a seven-foot center is on like Bogdan Bogdanovich and, sure. and the mistake means that a good shooter. But that's that's hard stuff to do, or you're right. And it yeah. and you can see it draining the shot clock as teams try to figure it out. And all For of sure. a sudden you get down to six. You're like, man, we got nothing. We just got to, we just got to create something. And every defender on the floor is a good one-on-one defender.
2: Yeah, it's, it's. Um, there is one weakness. And who, who's, who's the Martin in Miami? Is it Caleb? Caleb Martin in Miami? Caleb. I think he's, Caleb. Yeah. Caleb. Okay. So you know how most guards get when they get a big on them? You know, dribble, dribble, dribble between the legs, step back, dribble, dribble, dribble. Caleb Martin was grabbing that thing on the run and driving the closeout. He wasn't messing around with the ball. And he turned the corner on Rob like three or four times. So if, if I would say the only thing I've seen, and they usually got they brought Rob up to the wing, and it wasn't like, okay, go ahead and do your thing, it was like, no, we're going to hard drive this ball. And that was the only time that I saw like that one particular defense with Rob on the perimeter where it was like, it was like, okay, I could see, like, I don't know why more guards don't do it. It's just when they have a big on them, they're just not trained to straight line drive guys or, or drive closeouts. They usually do that when they have a smaller guy on them. So he's the only guy, and he did it like five straight possessions, and he kind of cracked the Celtic defense. They were shorthanded that night, so the Celtics smacked him. So it kind of flew underneath the radar. But that was, that was the only time I've ever seen this defense where I'm like, oh, that could be a problem.
1: They've also stopped fouling. They, they've been like a top 10 uh, foul rate team on defense. And fouling had been a huge problem for them. And you talked about it last time. You just said, well, when do you foul? You foul when you're either too aggressive at the point of attack or you, you are blown by at the point of attack or you take one half step wrong and, and the whole defense is compromised. What What's happened? Is it just that they've gotten cleaner? At, that's yeah. it. Just switching it's easier, right? You just keep yeah, it in front.
2: Yeah, yeah. so you, I mean, you know the name of the game. Like offensively, the name of the game is put two on the ball and play out of it. Defensively is try to limit rotation if you can, right? And everyone's going to rotate. It's just how the, the game is played. Guy drives to the basket, you got to help out and you got to rotate. But with the switching, you're you're and they, and they switch everything. Did if, I don't know? Did you catch the Atlanta game where they would they would come into the switch and Trey Young just pull up from thirty five feet? Like you're going to be susceptible to that, and Trey Young would be a guy that because of how crafty he is, you can end up fouling him a lot. They clearly foul like big guys a lot, like Joel Embiid, because you know you're coming from double teams and you're always in rotation. But Embiid's the one I know they didn't look like it last night, but Embiid is the one thing where on the perimeter they do fine. It's they with Embiid you're gonna have to double team. You cannot play him straight up, so they'll have to rotate out of that. But it's a little bit easier rotating out of a big position than it is rotating out of guards that, that you know they put the ball on the deck. So they I think they're switching defenses right now. Another thing, when you know if you were guarding somebody and you knew Rob Williams was behind you and the guy got a little bit of a shoulder on you, you would pull your hands back and just try to be a body on him. So then, you know, knowing that Rob's behind you, able to erase the thing. So that that I think a lot has to do with their their switchability out there on the perimeter and then knowing that Rob is at the basket.
1: I have been a Time Lord believer. It, it's been a point of contention between our friend Bill Simmons and I. He is a Time Lord skeptic it's one of the reasons I was optimistic about the Celtics because to me, he's their ceiling. Like if he made a leap this season, he's the ceiling. And I think he's made a leap on both ends of the floor. Now there are still games where the discipline goes a little bit and he bites on pump fakes or too much. But I think he's actually been better at staying down. And the Jokic game last week... I thought was a real coming out performance for him. And I was, I was disappointed he didn't play last night because I wanted to see how much they would use him on Embiid, like go back to a conventional matchup defense, how he would fare. But talk a little about Rob because I, I do think he's becoming the player they hoped he would be. And, and I was, when they, when they signed him to that extension, I said that has a chance to be one of the best team-friendly deals in the league. I, I think Rob has, the way to explain Rob is offensively, there are, you can count on one hand the number of big men who can rim run like him yeah. and, pa- and pass like yeah. him. And you add in the defensive potential, like, it's not crazy to think he might become like a borderline all star kind of player at some point.
2: Yeah. So when Bill, when Bill doesn't like Time Lord, he's a Time Lord skeptic. Like, is anybody a Time Lord skeptic of his game? Or it's just the injuries because he's always hurt. He's always out. I think. I
1: think, Bill, I think for Bill, they were. If I recall our conversation, it was. It was like they were connected. Like the injuries are somehow. Uh, are the injuries and like the recklessness with which he plays, gotcha. which makes him not trust him in big moments, are sort of all mixed up together.
2: Gotcha. Now he's. Um... He has a few of those moments. I think the other night, who were we playing the other night? Where that ball, maybe it was Denver. The ball was just flying all over the place. But you're right. He did. He did a great job against Jokic. I will say defensively, he will be. He won't. He won't be challenged of guarding at Joel Embiid or Jokic until the fourth quarter. With uh, Eme, likes to go with Derek White. In it seems like he's going to go with a small group with rob williams out there so rob will be sort of your center so whoever if it is a Embiid or a Jokic, will have to guard the, those the guys.
1: lineup the lineup you're talking about is white smart tatum brown rob williams which Correct. has a chance to be they've already leaned all the way into that as a potential closing lineup i love that
2: lineup i think like forsberg said it was a plus 40 or something like that net rating already like or off the jump and that was that Denver game was a close game, and the Atlanta game was a close game. So these are those are two legitimate teams that you're. you're I mean, I know Denver sucks in the fourth quarter. That's why Jokic won't win the MVP. But it, it, it's legitimate. Those are legitimate teams to be playing well in the fourth quarter. So, yeah, I'm I'm my whole thing with Rob is I'm just skeptical of his, his body holding up. I'm not skeptical of his game. I'm with you. Five guys in the NBA that can go up rim run like that and still pass the ball, and and he's getting better. I always uh, joke with the staff. I go, explain to me how Rob can touch the top of the backboard on an alley oop dunk, but when he gets a layup, he doesn't jump above the rim. Can you explain that <laughs> one to me? Cause I don't get it, you know. But he's getting more control. He's becoming he's becoming uh I mean, it's just experience. He's doing it every single night. But I'm not a Rob Williams skeptic at all. I'm I'm just skeptical that his body because you know, in the playoffs, this is like you can't miss three games when your toe hurts or that's it. Yeah, you can't. Your back. It doesn't work like that. You have to, like, you have to learn how to play through things. So when the playoffs come, you're like, you have to push through this stuff. But I'll never ever be skeptical of his game.
1: So that lineup that Forsberg is is trotting out. Forsberg's trotting out the net rating after after 15 total minutes. I love it. Yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that lineup going into tonight's Pistons game, which again, knowing the Celtics, they will probably lose and sabotage this entire podcast. <laughs> it wouldn't sabotage. They'd still be winning nine out of ten. Um, is plus 14 in 15 minutes together. And I and let's flip it around and talk about the offense because you said the magic words before 0.5. The .5 rule of when you get the ball, you have half a second to yeah. pass, drive, or shoot. .5 comes from San Antonio. Yeah. Derek White comes from San Antonio, and that's uh, that's what the Celtics were aiming for with this move. Is this is a guy you know? We've talked about oh, Lonzo would be such a great ball mover, connector, defender to put in between the Jays. Well, we didn't. He didn't get Lonzo. This guy has the same. It's a totally different skill set from Lonzo Ball, but the same sort of – he's not going to – he might not start a ton of possessions. He might not finish a ton of possessions. But in between, he's going to connect people in really smart ways. He's fit right in in that regard. What have you seen early on from his fit on the team?
2: Yeah, like – so I don't like I don't study the NBA like when I'm like oh when you're looking at a guy that trade for like I you know I, Der- I know Derek White is making 17 million he's in San Antonio I watch San Antonio I like Derek White but when you start to really think about it it's harder it's getting harder and harder to find guys because of the individual workout guys that are you know like now everyone massages the ball when you have Tatum and Brown. You can't have another guy that massages the ball. You got to have everybody else has to be quick decision makers, and Al is, and Smart's becoming that, and Derek White is that. So by them going out there and, get, and trading for him, and you know putting the money that they that that they're going to owe to him, it's a lot of money. But he's better than Schroeder. He's better than Josh Richardson. He's better than Romeo Langford. So he's better than all the guys that they gave up, and he comes in here and he fits that role. And sometimes I do think that his elite decision making and and he does it quickly it's exactly how the Celtics need to be sped up and i you know this basketball is a contagious sport one bad shot can turn into a bad quarter of selfishness but also the vice, vice versa uh, applies as well once You start playing unselfish and everyone starts popping that ball around. Well, then all of a sudden you'll start getting that from your stars as well. So I I do think that Derek White is the perfect fit for this team if they were going to add somebody. Like even I know this is crazy and people might disagree with me and that's fine. But even if I, I like Derek White and Marcus Smart to me for this team are probably a better combination than them going out there and getting Brad Beal. And I know that uh, Brad Beale and Tatum are best of best of friends growing up in St. Louis. I just think that those two guys, like Tatum and Brown, they need people who are are that are different than what they are, not the same as what they are.
1: Uh, that's a, that's an interesting. I haven't thought about that. Certainly, the opportunity cost in terms of what you'd have to give up to get Brad Beal is a lot bigger. Um, the other thing about Derek White is you've already seen. Um, Like, he'll set screens for Tatum or even Tatum and Brown. Like, there's more small, small pick and roll combinations for the Celtics now. And he can screen and flare out, catch a pass, drive it. And I love when the Celtics put two of their wings or a wing and a point guard into two-man actions because you get switches that way and Tatum and Brown can go to work. But more than that, they had a play against Atlanta where I think they ran a Tatum smart pick and roll. And Atlanta hedged it and smart flared out the three, caught it open, drove it. Got the defense to converge and kick to somebody for a corner three. Like that's that's how that's when Boston is at their best. Sure. And the more small, small stuff, like they even had some some Tatum and Brown would come together like Stephen Clay for these split actions off the ball. You put your two best players in off-ball actions. They were doing that a lot last night against Philly. Um, that's indicative of a a healthy team culture, like those guys are buying in to mm-hmm. stuff that's not sexy. And it's really, really effective. And the other phrase you use is sped up. Derek White plays fast. fast. And, and the Celtics, when they get out in transition, like any other team, they're really effective in transition. But they, this team, more than most good teams, they need an occasional kick in the ass to, like, get moving. And Derek White is a get moving guy in the open court.
2: Yeah, like you and Jalen Brown – Not this year, but historically has been one of the better transition players in the NBA. And I got if I ever got to watch like, you know, I was happy, really, really happy during the trade deadline because like I think Schroeder is an amazing player. I do. I think he's really good, but he plays in a really and it's not it's not like it's not like it's on him. I'm sure he grew up in Germany playing basketball and he wanted to slow down every single possession. But like I, I went on air and I went on a rant and I felt bad, but I just I had to. I kept saying on a block shot by Rob Williams, on a missed layup, and on a live ball turnover, can we at least get out and run? I'm not, I'm not going Tommy Heinsohn right here and saying we got to run on makes. But at least all I'm asking for on a block shot, on a missed layup, and a live ball turnover. Can we get a layup? Can we get a layup? But that ball would find Truder and he would act like he was gonna push it and then he'd pull it back and he would dribble and then like you can't give those up. And then Derek White got here. We missed. They missed the layup. It hit White. He didn't even dribble. He kicked it ahead. It was a layup. And I'm like, praise the God. praise the Lord. I, we we finally can we can finally cash in on things every NBA team should do: run on turnovers, uh, block shots, and miss layups. So I'm 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 just from an entertainment standpoint. I'm happy that Derek White is here.
1: It's interesting because there there's an upper bound on how good you can get defensively or offensively as a team like there's you're not going to like break records and stuff um but in, and so when the celtics made the trade for Derek white I said well he fits their their defense beautifully mm-hmm. but they're already a top three defensive team but i i may have even understated how well he fits their team and i i didn't have time on trade deadline day to look at the defensive metrics like you can buy them or not buy them by the advanced metrics He's like a top 15 defender in the NBA. Now, I don't really buy that, but there, those numbers are seeing something. Like I knew he was good, but those numbers are seeing greatness. And the other thing that I think I missed in my initial, again, like fly by the seat of my pants analysis is, you know, Derek White is a 34% career three-point shooter, 31% the last two seasons. And I said on my pod Thursday night, Man, I just wish, given what they gave up, and they gave up real— they paid full freight for Derek White. Oh, for They sure. gave up full, full-on value. I just wish he could shoot it a little better because this team is dying for a killer shooter around those two wings. And I think what the Celtics are betting on and what I missed that night is he's going to get better looks here than he got in San Antonio playing off those guys. And the tracking data suggests that if he's more open, he's going to shoot better. And I think that may prove out to be right. And if he becomes a 36%, 37% three-point shooter in Boston, something he's never been, but if he can get there and shoot a little better, then they've really got something. That's the number I'm going to be monitoring. And I think just even watching these first three games or whatever, I think they're right to at least bet on his looks are going to be cleaner than they were in San Antonio. He hasn't made him yet. He's 25% as a Celtic, which is nothing, obviously no sample size. But I think, that's, I think they're correct on that.
2: Yeah. So what do you value like like um Clay Thompson could shoot thirty eight percent and take like some wow, how did he make that? And another guy can take take wide open shots and make and shoot thirty eight percent. Do you, when you look at all your numbers, do you value the guy that could take those quick trigger threes, even if they shoot a little bit lower of a percentage?
1: It's so it's uh, for sure. Like that's all the eye test, right? That's all watching the games. Yeah. Like a Clay Thompson, thirty eight percent is way different than a Rajon Rondo, thirty eight percent. But it has sure. always been the thing that's always been curious to me is like Rondo's a good example of this. His last four or five seasons, he's become a mid to high thirties catch and shoot three point shooter, but defenses still treat him like, like he's a complete non threat, and I always wonder like should he just shoot all of the, if it's late in the shot clock like by the math that's not a bad shot like a wide open rondo catch and shoot 3 but the trade off of they never guard him i think is still more damaging to your offense yeah. overall but i do think the math of that kind of shooter is is like some of these guys you look at their catch and shoot numbers like man if he's open with like 8 on the shot clock that's that's not a bad that's not a bad shot
2: yeah you you see it the same way i do i i see it like Derek White has to take those quick trigger threes because ultimately it will open up the driving of the closeout, which is rotation. And now all of a sudden you're playing out of it, which the ball has a better chance of finding Jason Tatum. Like I'm, I'm curious with Philadelphia, it's this Matisse Thybul, and I don't know how Matisse Thybul is going to handle this season. He, they're going to leave him open. They might leave him open for the likes of like twenty threes in a game. How much does that hurt Embiid? And um and now James Harden with Thibault being wide open, so yeah, I I value even if he's shooting a lower percentage, but they're quick trigger threes because you have to run at him at Derek White when he's doing that because that will eventually open up the floor. So so far so good. We'll see. They they better win tonight against Detroit, and then then it gets real because Kevin Durant's coming back, and there's a few benchmarks. The, the Bucks are a benchmark. I think I think uh, obviously. The, like the Bulls, you got it. I don't know about the Cavs right now, um, but you know, Brooklyn's a benchmark. So we'll see where these guys stand after, you know, I think about it, three weeks after the All Star break. But it does seem like right now, everything that the Celtics have, they have a little bit of magic uh, lightning in a bottle.
1: I was thinking the same thing about Thibault the last few games. I mean, I think about Thibault shooting all the time because obviously what he does defensively is just beyond special. Yeah and he's improved as a cutter, but I'm looking at the numbers now. 27% on catch-and-shoot threes this year, 30% last year. And you're right, defenses are just going to – when it when it comes down to it, like we'll give you 20. Like we'll, we'll yeah. give you – are you going to take 15 threes? Because we're going to give you 15 threes. You, you anticipated my last question, which was like, how are we supposed to think about the Celtics now? I think it, it, it seems like wildly premature to say – well, I mean, why can't they win the East with Milwaukee? And, and I mean, I, I don't even know how to talk about Brooklyn anymore, so let's leave them off for a second. Yeah. Miami, um, like, I I don't think Boston is as good, and the new-look Sixers, we'll see. I think Milwaukee, to me, has been my pick since the Kyrie situation when, haywire. Hey, they are the safest pick on the board? But the Celtics have the best point differential in the Eastern Conference all of a sudden. like I don't know how to it, – it, it still feels early to put them in that conversation, but the numbers say – They kind of should be in that conversation. Maybe it's just the way the season has unfolded. It feels premature. I mean, should they be in that conversation? What's a realistic ambition for this team?
2: Yeah, so two things that bother the Celtics. And maybe they won't bother the Celtics anymore. But historically, from the beginning of this year, even when they're winning, it's the Clint Capellas of the world. It's the... um, Even Miles Turner in Indiana one time. It's the shot-blocking big. that they, They seem to have a hard time with the rim reads, right? So then... You know the playoffs are going to get tougher. It's going to get more physical. You can't pull up from 15 feet because you're afraid of challenging that big as opposed to driving in there and going with the ball movement. So we'll see. I I, I do want to see them. I, right now I'm saying they're in the conversation. It's matchup-based. Like right now they would open up with, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is right, Cle- uh, Cleveland in the first round, and if they won and the Bulls won, they would have the Bulls in the second round. Like who's, who's – Who's to say, like, it's all about matchups when you look at the Eastern Conference. That's there true. are some teams that can't beat, like, for whatever reason, Miami struggles against Toronto. Why? I have no idea why, but they just do. So it's going to come down to matchups in the Eastern Conference. So why can't they get, I look at them as an Eastern Conference Finals team. And if you're in the Eastern Conference Finals, they are in the conversation to get there then you're a team that could go to the finals.
1: Well, and Brooklyn is just the ultimate wild card. Currently yeah. <laughs> eighth in the East is Kyrie. going to be able to play home games soon ever Durant's coming back. What does Simmons look like? Cause fully formed it, where that team falls in the seedings determines a lot of this conversation, but th- that team also like needs to work really hard to get out of the play-in tournament. I don't care how good you are. If you're in the play in tournament, you are on the razor's edge of not making the playoffs. I don't care if you're 7 or 10. Your margin for error is zero. So that's the other big storyline. All right, Scal, you got to go. You're going to do the Pistons game tonight, and then you're on your way to All-Star in Cleveland. Have fun. Please don't get COVID. And uh, uh, I, I look forward I look forward to seeing you at a Celtics game maybe uh, early next month if the travel gods are kind to of me. Thank you, sir.
2: You got it, Zach. See you.
1: your team. Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. All right, it's time to bring in Kevin Pelton for what I'm making a tradition on this podcast, which is that Kevin and I draft all-stars from the all-star player pool and some nerd somewhere online simulates or multiple nerds do multiple simulations of whose team wins the game. Last year, I made the mistake of drafting for entertainment purposes only. And according to the simulations, I lost. Now, that doesn't mean I recognize (laughs) the validity of those simulations and would indeed challenge them in court. But I am back with a vengeance For this year, I'm going to draft to win. Kevin, I'm going to draft to win. I'm not handing you anything this time, okay? I'm drafting to win. And not only that, last year, I was a gentleman. I gave you the first pick in the draft. No more. I'm going to have my producer, Dan, flip a coin from his house somewhere in Connecticut. And you can call it, Kevin, but the winner gets first pick. So Kevin, call it. Dan, flip it. Let's go.
2: What do you think, Kevin? It's an actual quarter. I'll show it to you. Legit quarter. Heads, tails. What do you got?
0: Let's go heads.
2: Hull his heads.
0: It is tails. Ah! Tails never fails.
1: The basketball god smiling on me. You know,
0: before we get started here, I didn't know these rules were going to be, you know, so different this year. That your approach was going to be so different. Maybe I should have chosen not to run.
1: Well, look, if you if you're going to chicken out and you don't want to defend your fake tainted title because of course the nerds with the simulations are going to side with you I don't know I didn't look under the hood and see what algorithms they were using or anything like that all right well with the first pick in the draft I'm taking Nikola Jokic so sorry buddy
0: (laughs) uh Nikola Jokic not not the greatest all-star player historically but certainly the but the, com- the, the computers don't know that though the yeah.
1: computers just know that he leads the nba in every advanced stat that there is and is on pace for the highest player efficiency rating of all time so i have Nikola Jokic, and he's gonna pass. he's gonna i'm gonna have spacing you're gonna see i'm drafting i got i got my eyes on the prize
0: i noticed that the uh highest pr ever actually made it on to the nuggets broadcast last night in the against the warriors but Even if Jokic ends up with the highest PR or a higher PR than what was the record coming into this season, doesn't mean he's necessarily going to hold the record because right on his heels is my first pick, Giannis Adetakumpo.
1: I was hoping you would pick. Embiid, uh, so I wasn't tempted to do the multiple center look that maybe undid me last year. All right, so so Jokic is gone. Giannis is gone. This is a good opportunity to talk about the MVP race, Kevin, because I have an item in my 10 things column that will run tomorrow that is nominally about Chris Middleton, but I get into Giannis's case. Giannis, as you said, is right on Jokic's heels for the highest PER ever. He now has, as of right now, Thursday afternoon, 2 p.m. Eastern time, has eked one-tenth of a point past Joel Embiid and three-tenths of a point past LeBron James for the league's scoring lead. He's number two in almost every advanced stat sandwiched between Jokic and Embiid. He has a minutes advantage, I believe, over Embiid. And this is my long way of saying the MVP is being framed as a two-man race between Jokic and Embiid. And Embiid. You can argue whether it should be a race at all. We can get into that argument now. I actually think that it should be. But if it's a race, it's a three-man race. And, and then, you know, we hear all these stories about where's DeRozan? DeRozan's got to be on the ballot and and Chris Paul's got to be on the ballot and Morant's got to be on the ballot. Well, we're running out of spots for the got to bees because the top three are Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis in some order, which leaves me two spots and nine players who allegedly have gotta-be in those two spots, but I only get two. That's it. So what is your MVP ballot look like right now? And again, we haven't done our deep dives. We haven't had a full season yet. This is just a perspective 55, 60 games in Kevin Pelton. What, what's a ballpark MVP ballot for you? Yes.
0: Yeah, so our buddy, Tim BonTEMPS did his multiple times. Annual, uh, mvp straw poll that came out on thursday morning when he texted me about this it, i i think i asked him hey or maybe i didn't because our conversation went elsewhere you know is this the official straw poll ballot or is this just you asking me as a friend what my mvp ballot was so i didn't do the deep dive that i would would even normally do for the straw poll but uh i had Jokic and i think in that order and then had steph curry still in fourth he's even though you know he's fallen off since when he was considered the front runner alongside Kevin Durant in the first couple months of the season he's still played a ton of minutes for a team that is playing very well he's third in in my Windsor Blood replacement player metric because Embiid is dinged a little more for his lack of minutes there and uh, then I had Chris Paul fifth but I think the top three certainly it's well within the margin of error with a quarter of the season left which is my issue with the so-and-so has to be on the ballot like We've still got 20 games to go here. That's, the All-Star break is much later than it usually is, so it's not premature to look at the MVP race now, but things can still change pretty dramatically in the last month and a half here.
1: Yeah, the, the, the has-to-be-on-the-ballot for anybody who's not one of those two guys. Which, by the way, the per-
0: Jokic did not, was not on every ballot.
1: Well, whoever didn't have Jokic on their ballot needs to have their membership in Tim Bontemps' straw poll. Uh, revoked. I actually participated in this struggle. I don't exactly remember what I wrote, but I participated in it. Um, but anyone saying anyone outside of those top three, quote unquote, has to be on the ballot has not done the 30 seconds of research required to reveal that that person does, in fact, not have to be on the ballot. Like DeMar DeRozan has been incredible. I think he's second behind Embiid in points in the last five minutes of close games. He's shooting like 55% in those minutes, 16 assists to two turnovers in crunch time minutes the last time I checked. Just ridiculous numbers. He might not be on my top five MVP ballot. Obviously, it's going to depend on how he plays, which right now is he walks out of bed and scores 35 points on 50% shooting. But, you know, we'll see. He's got 20 games left. But like, these players are all awesome. We haven't mentioned Morant, who I had fourth on my straw poll provisional ballot, um, because I just think the Grizzlies have been incredible and he's the driver of everything they do. In the early season, like they're getting outscored with a Morant on the floor, as you pointed out when it was happening, was the product of some fluky three-point shooting that has since corrected themselves. They're a comfortable plus a lot with Morant on the floor. So like, it's, it's hard to be on the MVP ballot. And like, can I, I've heard a lot of people in the last two weeks, including the Sixers broadcast, which by their own admission is a Homer broadcast. And it's a delightful broadcast to listen to. I like Kate Scott and Al Abdulnabi a lot, but they don't even mention Jokic by name. They call him that guy in Denver. And they, they I, at some point, someone somewhere, if it wasn't that broadcast, it was somewhere else. It was like, If you're not voting Embiid as MVP, you're just doing it wrong. Like, it's it's obvious that he's the MVP. And that's my pet peeve of the framing of these arguments is when it's declared by someone with some kind of stake in the race that it's a no-brainer and that anyone who votes for player X is a moron who's not paying attention. When in reality, you're probably not paying attention to what the other guy in the race is doing. Like, Nikola Jokic right now deserves to be i think a slight front runner over Joel Embiid in the race and if you're going to counter that argument and disagree with it i think the correct disagreement is with the word slight i think it would be nikola jokic is a clear front runner in the mvp race for me what embiid has done amid that turmoil in philadelphia what he's done on the defensive end puts him almost neck and neck with jokic but like we've reached the point with jokic where he goes into golden state with the skeleton crew 35 17 and 8 game winning assist and everyone's like oh it's cool like let's talk about the Simmons Harden trade like I, I don't i i don't know what else to say it just it drives me crazy when there's this you're an idiot if like if i vote for Jokic and you vote for Embiid i'm not going to be like well you're just an idiot kevin you've misread the entire race be like i get it there's an argument if, if you vote for Giannis i get it there's an argument
0: yeah i I think sometimes people make the case like you need to see this player play every day. And I agree that it's there's definitely a lot of things that you learn about a player if you see them that frequently that, you know, those of us in the national media who, by definition, are coming in you know every third or fourth or fifth game to see them aren't going to see. But the problem is you're not is the fan of that team learning those same things, as you alluded to, about Jokic, about Giannis, because you're not seeing those teams every night. So it's not really a, a fair viewpoint to take unless you are, you know, like Stan Van uh army of uh, video coordinators we are going to watch every single game of the season before he took over as Pistons head coach and uh, front office executive. If you're one of them, then you can maybe make that case. But if you're just a fan of a specific team you're missing out on the other teams watching them 82 times a year.
1: Back to the draft. Team Lowe has Jokic. Team Kraken has Giannis. With my next pick and the third pick in this draft, I am taking the king, the soon-to-be all-time leading scorer in the NBA, LeBron James. Okay. Deal with that
0: uh is is Kevin Durant eligible for this I assume no because he's injured. no
1: the injured players are not eligible we're not drafting Kevin Durant, Draymond Green or James Harden they're out yeah I sprung that on you unannounced deal with that I, we're on my I, podcast now we're on my podcast now no Kevin Durant he's I didn't out. really
0: know if we were being assigned captains or what was going on here so that's uh that's important to learn as I I build out my team well I, I don't know whether to take advantage of the fact that you said you're not going to dra- draft Joel Embiid or or should I tempt you by by passing on him again. Uh, for simulation purposes, even though his all-star track record is pretty disappointing given her, his caliber, I think this is where I'm going to take
1: Steph. Ooh, okay. Uh, sure. I wasn't going to take Steph. I want. I want I was going to take him eventually, but I wasn't going to take him this high. Uh, I like Le- LeBron. I know he's big, so like maybe I, he can guard Giannis down the stretch of the game. And I know that LeBron is prideful enough that he's going to try in the last X minutes of the Elam ending if it's close. I mean, they're all going to try, but he's going to try hard. And if he has a chance at MVP, he's going to try really, really hard. So I like my LeBron pick. You went you Steph. That's it. I'm throwing off now.
0: I mean, especially this year, being back in Northeast Ohio, and given the way the the frustrating way the Lakers' season has unfolded to date, I feel like all my money is on LeBron for MVP this year.
1: Boy, oh boy! All right, so you've left Embiid on the board for me. I am tempted. You have tempted me. I mean, Embiid can only slip so far. If I take Embiid, you're gonna be you're gonna be at my mercy. You're gonna have to draft Gobert early or something. Uh, To counter my size advantage or you're just not going to care You know what i'm going to do? I have a feeling I have a feeling That this is going to be like a john morant Hey nation, you haven't been watching me like this is what I do. This is my weekend I'm tailor-made for this showcase. I'm gonna throw down like 19 hellacious dunks. I'm gonna try really hard. I'm gonna lob the ball up to my guys. I'm I'm taking I'm I'm it might be a reach, KP, but I'm taking John Morant.
0: I will tell you it's not a reach because when I was conceiving of this is strictly like who's gonna make the best all-star lineup this year, John Morant was number two on my board, which didn't include LeBron because I, I didn't know that he was included, but it was him after Giannis. So I don't think that's a reach at all. Uh, I I then will take Joel Embiid and have two of the three MVP front runners on my roster.
1: Well, let's use that as an excuse to get your take, which I haven't done outside of your quick reaction column. And you write those columns so fast on trade deadline day. Now you've had a week to think about it. James Harden has not played for the Sixers. Ben Simmons has not played for the Nets. By the way. I still love I, I said early, I said on my podcast earlier this week I love Cam Thomas. Now I double love Cam Thomas and what what a disaster for the Knicks last night blowing that lead at home and just what a horrible couple of weeks for the Knicks. They lose to the Thunder at home, they blow twenty point leads left and right, they screw up Thibodeau screws up late game timeouts, just a disaster. Um what do you think, KP? With a week to think about it, how do you how do you rate the Harden and Embiid Sixers this season? Forget about the offseason while like they can retool a little bit this season. How much of a threat can they win the title? How much of a threat to win the title are they?
0: I think they definitely can win the title. The one thing I've been over the past week have come around on is, you know, as much as I don't think that Harden and Embiid's games are super complementary in terms of the two man game. The free throw element is going to be pretty complimentary between two of those guys because you can just imagine playoff quarters where they're in the bonus with like eight minutes left. And those guys just keep going to the free throw line over and over again and piling up points that way. And so that's a pretty big concern to me. Now, the thing that makes me a little less optimistic about their chances of winning the title than I was a week ago and granted differently than if we had recorded this 24 hours ago is – the Boston Celtics legitimately could win the Eastern Conference this year. They've had the best point differential in the conference for an extended period of time here, blowing out a bunch of teams that are shorthanded or, or just not very good in the first place. But Garrick White has been as seamless an in integration as I think we hoped that he would be. Uh, what did you, you referred to that as the basketball nerd trade that everyone wanted to talk about instead of the Harden-Simmons trade. So now yes. you've got like six teams in the East that legitimately can win it. 7 maybe 7 i guess it's yeah it's probably 7 right they can legitimately win it with all due respect So you're, to the exc- you're excluding
1: the you're excluding the Raptors as among the top 8 in the east cuz the the east is really three tiers now it's 1 to 8 with the Nets and the Raptors and you can tier that any way you want within that obviously there's hierarchies but the Nets and the Raptors are currently 7 and 8 then nine and ten, the Hornets and the Hawks are like three games back in their own little tier. And then, assuming the Wizards continue to free fall and the Knicks continue to do what they're doing, Nixon around, it's the, it's the Wizards, the Knicks, and everybody else. So that one to eight is its own kind of separate sphere. And it does look like the play-in, if the Nets and the Raptors are in it, they will, or, or that in the play-in, the the Hawks and the Hornets will be nine ten underdogs in the play-in. We're going to talk about the Celtics soon, but what's if there's something that concerns you about the Sixers, what would it be?
0: I think it's what they're going to do defensively with a player who has always wanted to switch in a lineup that features Joel Embiid. And you know even Tobias Harris isn't probably the most equipped to switch pick and rolls. So I think you get in a playoff series, are teams able to exploit that weakness is my biggest question about them.
1: Well, with my pick you you jumped the topic I wanted to talk about. I'm going to this is going to be a controversial pick, but I want size, shooting, versatility, enough of a sort of young ego and I mean that in a good way that this person is going to try in the All-Star game. Like I I love Jimmy Butler. I'm Jimmy Butler has a history of just like I don't really I don't, I'm not really feeling this game. So I I don't know if that if that if the simulations can account for that, but I'm going to take Jason Tatum. Uh, with my next pick and I was going to ask you having just had Brian Scalabrine on the same question I asked him was you know our brains work in funny ways right so the Celtics get off to a, a lackluster start there's Marcus Smart calls out Tatum and Brown essentially again there's dissension again the talking point becomes they're so disappointing are they going to break up the team and then as you said they're on this nine and one run they lost to the Pistons last night and um. Suddenly, they're fifth in the East with the best point differential in the East. And all the given the fact that Milwaukee has been very good, but not runaway great, the Nets are a tire fire. Um, the Bulls are new and we're figuring them out and, and all that. I, I, the Sixers just remade their entire team. Um, I, I do think in Our brains should be asking the question, wait, are the Celtics a contender to make the finals? But because we are wired to have this like 40 games of disappointment really in our rear view, it feels premature to ask that question, I think. I think there's a natural reticence to do it. But should we be doing it? Like can the Celtics as presently constituted win the East?
0: I think they can. I mean, I'm still not, they're probably still more likely to lose in the first round than they are to come out of the East. I think that's probably true of almost anyone in the Eastern Conference, right? Because if you have seven or eight teams that are that equal, you know, by just math, four of them are going to lose in the first round. Only one of them is going to advance. So you're much more likely to have that be the outcome. But I, the way I've been conceiving of it lately is, even if I don't pick them, if the Celtics do end up winning the East, we're going to say in, you know, three and a half months here, oh, the signs that this was going to happen were there all along.
1: I would say right now, I still have trust issues, right? I still need to see it over. I don't I don't expect him to win nine of every 10, but I need to see, although it's been, a 20-game stretch of, of dominant play now. It's not just this this streak. They're like 16-5 and five in their last 21 games. I guess I need to see it a little longer. Maybe that's my fault. Maybe that's my stupid brain's fault. Uh, but I will say this. I'm already at the point where the only team that if they beat them in the playoffs in a seven-game series that I would be like, wow, that's really surprising, is Milwaukee even Miami who is being criminally overlooked and is awesome and we're going to talk about Miami when we draft Butler if anyone someone has to draft Butler at some point I, it wouldn't be a surprise to me if Boston beat Miami they they they're playing that well
3: it's demon time on prize picks where you can now win up to 100 times your money that's right 100 times your money with as little as four correct picks, you can turn $10 into $1,000. Demons and Goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at prize picks. Squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. And as always, PrizePix is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. They even offer injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make PrizePix the number one daily fantasy sports app. Just download the app today and use code LOW for a first deposit match up to $100. That's code LOW on the PrizePix app for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy.
1: Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak with all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You have the next pick. I, I just took Tatum off the board. I feel really good about my team, by the way. Jokic, LeBron, Morant, Tatum. I just You have Stefanis and Embiid. You know what? Maybe I'm just bad at this. How did you get Stefiannis and Embiid? <laughs>
0: I think there are a lot of good players out there. As it turns out, that's that's the good news about this. Yeah, Tatum was was definitely going to be my next pick. So now it's between Demar Derozan and Andrew Wiggins uh, to fill that that other wing spot. Well, that's a, not
1: a sentence a lot of people thought we'd be we'd be saying no. at pick number seven or eight in the All Star draft. At this no. Time. Oh, you don't, by the way, you don't have to pick the starters. You don't have to go oh. starters first. You can pick from any pool. You, I should have told you that earlier. I don't think it affected your team because you picked some really good players, but you can pick anybody you want.
0: All right, my next pick is Chris Paul then.
1: Oh, yeah. look at that. I shouldn't have told you.
0: Yeah. Uh, any Any all-star game you want Chris Paul on your team, he's going to make things more fun. He's going to, And he's going to play the last five minutes very seriously. He's the archetypal all-star player. And uh, the the Chris Paul, Steph Curry backcourt, I'm, I'm feeling good about that.
1: Simulators, please take into account that Chris Paul hurt his wrist or his hand or his thumb or whatever it was last night. Even if he plays, he'll probably be seventy-five percent of his production. Uh, CP is the is the uh, he gets in his bag for the All Star game. Like he dunked a couple All Star games ago. He loves. He gets into his tricky dribble moves. He wants to put people on the floor. He loves the All Star game. It's a great pick. Uh, Suns question. They're forty-eight and ten. Is it kind of like, what are we doing talking about these other teams? Are they just the clear favorite now to win the NBA title?
0: I mean, I tweeted this on Thursday night. We went through the whole deadline day, all the talk about Harden and Simmons and the Nets and Sixers. And ho-hum, the Suns just come out and blow out the Bucks. granted, who were a little bit shorthanded. And at the end of a road trip in that game, and it's like, yeah, you guys can talk about everyone else. We're just going to be over here winning all the games we play. I, I mean, I think a lot of it still depends on Draymond Green's health. And how optimistic you are about the report the Warriors sent out yesterday about his condition, because we have seen them match up really well against the Suns with Draymond, but not with Clay. But I, I think that they, because of the, because of the morass in the East, the Suns and Warriors, I think have the two best chances to win the championship.
1: They're incredible. My fear of for them continues to be. Chris Paul getting injured at the wrong time, which seems to happen every year. Maybe he's gotten injured now at the right time. I, we have no report on if there's any real injury here at all from from when he got tossed last night. Um, maybe it will end up being some kind of uh, some kind of blessing. Okay, you've taken uh, Chris Paul. I'm gonna take. In, again, my search for dynamic young players who are hungry to prove their worthiness on on the very, very top stages, who are are going to try hard in the All-Star game, who are versatile and can shoot, I'm going to take Donovan Mitchell of the Utah Jazz. What do you think of that pick?
0: He was very high on my list of reserves for those reasons. Uh, I, though, am going to— you know go against all-star track record this is somebody else who has not been at their best in their all-star in the all-star game but the fact that he's still on the board this low i know makes who it's going to be i know who it's going to be Luka Doncic.
1: yes he's so not going to try hard kp he's not going to try <laughs> he's going to party the night before he's going to show up and be like i i'm i'm just having a good time maybe he'll throw some nice passes is there, uh, the simulations are not going to recognize this though i guess
0: well, the simulations need to recognize that he's going to have Chris Paul badgering him on my team to play hard. So that's that's the value of Chris Paul's veteran leadership.
1: Uh, let me go back to Mitchell for a second and ask you a very simple question: Has the Western Conference passed the Utah Jazz by?
0: I'm still not sure because they, like, if you take out the minutes that not Rudy Gobert and not Hassan Whiteside have played at center, the Jazz are still pretty awesome all things considered last night's loss to the Lakers aside I don't think that they've addressed any of our concerns about them in the playoffs and you know I get if the Nikhil Alexander Walker trade was kind of more of a future looking thing just a chance to buy low on a talented player but couldn't they have tried to use that salary spot and those second round picks to end up with Torrey Craig somehow like letting him go to Phoenix seems like a bad thing for the. that's a
1: great call actually because my my reaction that night and what I wrote that night was, you know, the Jazz had not found a player who I thought Quinn Snyder would trust as a playoff player this season. They found a player who, although he's been a disappointment in the NBA, has some physical tools and some length on defense and stuff you can't teach and is a worthy investment. But this team is trying to win the title, and I, I thought they would try to add a rotation player. That's a great call. Torrey Craig, unsexy, not that exciting tenth man in Phoenix or ninth man in Phoenix, depending on how the rotation sorts out when Campaign and Landry Shamet come back, et cetera, et cetera. But we know he can play in the playoffs and he would have filled a need for the Jazz. That's that's an interesting call. I don't know I I have I, I don't feel great about the Jazz right now. And, and and I realize that a lot of their recent struggles came without, you know, Gobert has only played the last two games. He missed a ton of games. Without him they're a totally different team. And they're still plus I think, like, 13 or 14 per 100 possessions when Mitchell and Gobert are on the floor, which is a great sign when your best players are on the floor. You're dominant. Their starting lineup is super dominant, like, plus 12 or 13 per 100 possessions. So maybe it's much ado about nothing, but I don't, I don't think, number one, anyone is scared of the Jazz and, and part of that is because defensively, other than Gobert, they're they're really attackable. And, and Royce O'Neal, I guess. But n- none of the alpha players in the league are scared of Royce O'Neal guarding them as, as solid as he is. And the Ingles thing, although Joe wasn't playing well, that that backup hybrid starter lineup that I've called the slow jam lineup of Clarkson, Conley, Ingles, Gay, um, Gobert, and, and versions of it with Niang before this season has been the second most used lineup for the Jazz now for years in different variants. And I don't know how they're going to reconstruct it without Ingles. Right now they're trying House and Pascal in the Ingles-Rudy Gay spot because Rudy Gay is injured. That worries me a little bit because of just the trickle-down effects on their rotation. Right now, the numbers say the Jazz are still a contender. They're still second in net rating. Something in my gut doesn't doesn't trust it and feels like the Warriors and the Suns have kind of... Maybe not emphatically, but pretty clearly in my mind, pass them by.
0: Yeah, and there's also the situation that inevitably you're gonna have to play one of those two teams in the second round. It's looking like you know Memphis has opened up a four game cushion on them from third. It's probably going to be if they get their Jazz Suns in the second round, and that has not been a good matchup for Utah.
1: No, the Suns, I think, have won six in a row or five in a row against Utah. And the mid-range shooting of Paul and Booker against the drop-back defense, I mean, that's that's death against a lot of defenses, but it's the only real counter against Gobert in, in Utah's core core lineups. And as you said, Memphis is now, I think, three or four games up with a much easier schedule than Utah down the stretch. Uh, so it looks like Utah is going to be stuck in four. Okay, it's my pick now, I think, correct? You yes. took Luka. <sighs> this is, this is where it gets a little hard. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna take another big guy against my better judgment, but I think he can play with Jokic and, you know, and just in case Jokic doesn't feel like playing, I need to have another shooting creative big. So I'm gonna take Carl Anthony Towns.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, obviously Embiid and Jokic can shoot very well, but Count is really the stretch five on the board here. So he was a an intriguing pick early on for that reason. My concern about my team right now is uh, you know, you've got you've got LeBron James, you've got Jason Tatum. I don't I'm kind of light on wing defenders. I've got Giannis to maybe defend LeBron, depending on how the matchups shake out. But that's why, despite the uh the all-star track record we talked about earlier, I'm gonna take Jimmy Butler here.
1: Stat of the year right now in the NBA, maybe. Maybe a candidate for stat of the year. The Heat, who can still be first in the East at the All-Star bake if they win their last game, which is tonight against the Hornets, I believe. The Heat's four best players, Lowry, Bam, Butler, Tyler Hero, have played 59 minutes together total the wow. entire season in 15 games. That's ridiculous i mean we sit here and whine about the lakers injuries and oh my god the lineup variability the heat are like yeah 59 minutes yeah anyone want to talk to us about about issues 59 minutes that's like a game and a couple overtimes that's how much our best four have played together and we're number one or number two in the east they are no one's they're not really being talked about a lot, and that's people do this thing, "Oh, no one's talking about them," and it's usually an exaggeration. I actually kind of think no one's really talking about the Heat. I, we don't talk about them much on TV. How do you read the Heat at this point? Do they deserve to be like co-favorites in the East, like something like that? They they just on paper that's what they are.
0: I think so. I mean, they were a team that we all expected were going to be much stronger in the playoffs than they were in the regular season. And as you said, they could be number one in the East heading into the All-Star break despite these injuries. And that's because they've gotten such awesome play from this group of Max Strus, Gabe Vincent, the newly, uh, the newly converted uh, Caleb Martin. And those guys have kept them afloat, but also PJ Tucker, you know, there was, I, I had some questions out coming out of that Milwaukee run. Like, is he still the dangerous three point threat that he was, you know, maybe in 2018 in Houston? Well, yeah, it turns out he is in Miami. He's been rejuvenated there as well. So he leads the
1: league in three point percentage.
0: You, you add that all up. I mean, you said the, their best four players. I mean, Tyler here is not part of their starters. I don't know if he'll always finish games. Will he?
1: I don't know, but the whole Tyler Hero should be an all-star campaign was... Uh, yeah. I was I was not on board with that one. He's had a very nice season, a very good season. Uh, just one Carl Anthony Towns note, one one Minnesota note. In their most recent game, which was an overtime win over the... No, it was the most recent game I saw. I didn't see their game last night when they lost yeah. to Toronto. Against the Hornets, they started dropping back in a more conservative defense with Cat which is something they've avoided this year. They've been the most aggressive on-ball defense maybe in the entire league, blitzing, trapping, and, and banking on their athletes behind them because I think there's some skepticism about whether Cat can be a drop-back center, whether giving people a runway toward Cat is a good idea. But teams, as happens against aggressive defenses, the league had kind of started figuring it out, passing around it, getting open threes. And so you can see Minnesota midseason kind of tinkering and saying, uh-oh, do we got to try something else? And so, it'll be interesting to see how they pivot. Okay, I am going to take with my next pick. I'm gonna take. This is easy. This is easy. I'm taking Devin Booker.
0: I don't know that it's easy, but I, I he was very high on my list as well. He's
1: a killer, man. He's a killer, and he what? He's hungry. He's he's the kind of, he has an old basketball soul where he's like gonna care about things like All Star and MVP.
0: Now, do you have concerns about the chemistry with Booker and Mitchell in the same perimeter group for your team?
1: No, they're gonna they're gonna drive each other. We're gonna work hard at practices. They're gonna go <laughs> at each other. Yeah, iron sharpens iron. You know what I mean? Like they're gonna we're gonna have some hard practices. Who's our do I get to pick my coach between two coaches? I don't know, but we're gonna have some good practices.
0: Okay, I mean we talked about this at the top. Like you know he I don't know that he has to be on the All Star ballot, but especially if our simulation is focusing primarily on this season and his, his I don't want to say newfound, but increased ability to make every 18-footer he takes, I want DeMar DeRozan on my team.
1: Great pick. I got no issues with it. Not sure he'd be on my MVP ballot, but he's he certainly deserves a deep, deep look. And if the Bulls finish first or second in the East, he's going to be on a lot of ballots. And the streak he's on now is is just, it's art, man. It's I, I wrote this in a column once. The NBA Hall of Fame or the Basketball Hall of Fame, the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, call it what it is. You know, like the good, the good Hall of Fames have like interactive exhibits. There should be one where I get to go against a hologram of DeRozan. And my only goal is to not fall for hologram DeRozan <laughs> pump fakes for like 45 seconds. And if I or like some reward system where that's the, because it's, it's like the, it's the most fun nerd dance in the NBA is he gets to the foul line and he pump fakes like four times. You just know, it. you're screaming, stay down, it's DeMar DeRozan. You know, they've hammered it in every scouting and you just can't do it. Um, okay. So he's off the board. Uh, it's time for me to have a little variance in a little fun. So I'm going to go with the potential. Uh, this is the all-star game. So I'm going all offense and all points, minimal defense. Although I've got some good defenders on my roster, but I'm going to go like on the, ch- on the chance that Trey Young hits like eight threes in a row. I'm going to, I'm going to pick Trey Young.
0: Yeah. He probably needed to be off the board by this point. We we may have let him go a little too long. Uh, in the in the point guard department, understudying Chris Paul, and I think maybe, you know, kind of the the younger version of him in some ways, I'm gonna take Fred Van Vliet as someone who I I anticipate is gonna play very hard in the all star game and in an entertaining style of play
1: better at regular basketball than all-star game basketball i'm gonna smother fred van vliet with size it's gonna be like the playoffs for fred van vliet all of a sudden there's gonna be long arms all around him it's not gonna work out for you not not
0: since george carl coached all-star games i think has there been a game plan for a specific player
1: oh but well i mean i actually haven't planned for it but i'm not i'm just saying this i'm not afraid of fred van vliet I, i would have been by the way arguably now Pascal Siakam has not arguably he's been their best player for the last 20 games and i and there was a very strong case for Pascal to get one of the injury replacement all-star all-star spots i probably would have i'm glad jared allen made it because i felt jared allen was deserving i probably would have taken siakam over lamelo ball who we haven't picked yet and will be absolutely just a carnival of fun in this game uh, I, speaking of carnivals of fun, I'm going to take, I'm just going to load up on wings and points. I'm going to take Zach Levine.
0: <laughs> wow. Back to Mitchell. I guess there was a uh, one pick in between them, but Mitchell Booker and Levine three out of four packs. definitely, you've got a type.
1: Well, I had cat in there too. I'm just, I'm just taking, I'm just, I'm, I feel good about my team. You can't, you can't make, you're trying to play head games with me and you can't do it. Who's your next pick? Let's go rapid fire through the rest. We're getting down to the, what what I like to call the Gobert region of the All-Star
3: (laughs) track.
0: I, see, I don't feel like you're going to take Gobert at almost any point, especially because you're concerned about the chemistry, having him in the locker room with the Mitchell-Booker combo and constantly pointing out to Donovan Mitchell how Devin Booker is playing harder on defense.
1: We're not going to air things out through the media on my team. We're going to do it face-to-face, going to put our phones away. There's not going to be any Instagram nonsense. No one's going to give a like. We're blacking out for our phones for three days to win this game.
0: In case I want a better point guard defender, I'm going to take Seattle's own DeJounte Murray.
1: I really like how this draft is going for me. We're just going to throw 180 points on your team. You think think you're going to defend my team? and Where are going to let DeJounte shoot threes, leave them open, play some head games with them? Um, No one's taking Chris Middleton yet. I'm going to take Chris Middleton professional bucket a walking bucket mid-range floater you name it I'm taking Chris Middleton solid defender could be in my closing lineup depending on how the game goes might not have been on my all-star team but he is on the all-star team over Drew Holiday I think Drew Holiday has been better this year but I'm going to take Chris Middleton
0: I'm going to uh, assuming we're playing this game in Cleveland pander the home crowd a little bit by drafting Darius Garland
1: that's a good pick that's a good all-star pick it's a good all-star pick we're getting down to the end here. There are four guys left. You know he's going to have a chip on his shoulder. He heard the noise. He heard the noise about how he didn't deserve to make it, how he's a phony starter, how the K-pop movement bought him a starting spot. He's out to prove something. I'm going to take Andrew Wiggins. Get a little, give me a little defense, some defense and some long twos. It sounds fun. I guess I'm taking Andrew Wiggins. I think. I think. I think the, I think the players are going to get behind him. My team's going to get behind him. They're going to they're going to try to fuel him up, gas him up a little bit. I'm taking Wiggins. All
0: right, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it despite the fact that you only have one pick left, and maybe I could have saved him for my final pick, the final pick of the draft. Which he the James Harden situation was probably the only reason he wasn't in the actual All Star draft. But I got to take Rudy.
1: You know, if Rudy if Rudy wants to make plays in open space, we're 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 gonna we're gonna dare you to throw the ball to Rudy Gobert 20 feet from the rim. We're going to dare you. When he screens, we're going to trap and make him make plays.
0: Uh, do you know what Rudy's career field goal percentage in the All-Star game is?
1: 92%.
0: It's actually a little lower than that. It's only uh, 88%.
1: How many shots has he taken?
0: I don't. He scored 31 points. I don't have the field goal attempts in front of me.
1: I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. So that we have LaMelo Ball and Jared Allen as the last two picks. Yep. Do I need to? Do I need to pick defense? I don't want to pick defense. I really have no defense at all, other than LeBron. <laughs> Tatum can give me a little defense. I've really gone all in on offense. I don't need Lamelo Ball. I can't believe Lamelo is going to be the last pick, to, but maybe the an entertaining player. I'm going to take Jared Allen just in case we need a stop. Late in the Elam ending, I need to load up on defense. I don't know. I'm taking Jared Allen. Just I like Jared Allen. He has Zelda sound effects after his baskets. He's a, he's a man after my own heart, own heart. I'll take Jared Allen.
0: Yeah, it's weird Lamelo ended up here because either in an All Star setting or or this season, I'm not sure that he's the last of these players. But uh, here he is. So I'm so, happy to okay, have. So
1: okay, to review Team Kraken. That's you. Giannis, Curry, Embiid. That's a hell of a top three. I don't know how I let that happen. And, and I had the first pick. I think I, I, think I really screwed up somehow. <laughs> Chris Paul, Luca, Jimmy Butler. Not going to try. DeMar DeRozan, Fred VanVleet, DeJounte Murray, Darius Garland, Rudy Gobert, Ball. I have Nicole Jokic, LeBron James, John Morant, Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, Trey Young, Zach Levine, Chris Middleton, Andrew Wiggins, and Jarrett Allen. Simulations... Do with that what you will. Uh, I expect to win this year. I'm out to win. I'm taking it seriously. I'm still embarrassed by what happened last year. Before I let you go, KP, any trade that you wanted to talk about that we didn't hit on?
0: Uh, you know, we didn't talk about the, the two trades that are related to the 10th seed the play in the play-in in the Western Conference. And suddenly the team that is rising in the play-in standings is the team that traded away C.J. McCollum the Portland Trail Blazers, winners of four straight, including in uh, in Memphis, a night after the Grizzlies without John Morant beat the Pelicans? So quite a stretch here for the Blazers. I don't. I got to assume at some point they're going to, you know, some guys are going to get shut down or they're going to come back to earth. I I'd still be very surprised if they ended up tenth in the play-in, but it is by far the most amusing outcome.
1: They're playing hard. They're playing. They're playing with a little like you know. We're just sort of a random collection of guys nobody wanted vibe to them. And they're, they're playing hard. Josh Hart always plays hard. CJ Ellaby has to be the most anonymous heavy minutes NBA starter right now in the whole league. Uh, yeah, I, I, the Pelicans and the Kings, you know, we'll, we'll see how they do. The Kings, I think, are one in three since the trade deadline. The Fox and the Ox, by the way, that's not going to happen. We can't let that. The Fox and the Ox, that's what they're trying to call De'Aaron Fox and Demonte Sabonis. I that think they made that— I think like twenty percent of that trade was so the Kings could sell Fox and Ox merchandise. I'm not accepting that nickname. I reject it and I don't think we should use it. No one has ever called DeMonte Sabonis the ox. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Have you?
0: No, it seems very mean-spirited to call a player an ox. I don't I don't know you know, I mean I I get the logic, but
1: we're not we're not doing that. All right, KP, I'm very curious to see how we did this year because I, I like both of our teams. I love your top three. And uh, and it's going to be fun to see what the simulations say. I don't know. What should we bet? What should we bet on this?
0: I would say like a meal, but I we haven't seen each other in person in like two years here, right?
1: I think there will be a meal. A meal is good. A meal at a restaurant of the winners' choosing, hopefully in a final city. How about that?
0: That sounds good.
1: No price limit. Oh okay. Okay. All All right. right. I don't feel as good as I did last year. Kevin Pel, you got your mailbag running. Uh, you got your mailbag running this weekend.
0: We're we're going to talk about the uh, who's the All Star goat.
1: Oh, exciting! Okay, well you know that mailbag runs every weekend. KP, you're the man. Uh, thank you so much for your time, and go crack it.
0: Thanks for having me.